So dealing with doubt and, and staying on track in times of doubt. Do you ever have reason to doubt yourself? Well, I realized that as I was preparing for this subject, that there was every reason to doubt myself. You see, I spoke on the subject of doubt here on the 12th of August in 2007, and obviously it wasn't good enough because I've been asked to speak on it again. So you do get these sort of challenges, but actually, isn't doubt a bit worse than that? It isn't that sometimes you get doubts after 10 years, that sometimes you can just have a bad experience in a week or a month that really causes just some questions to surface in your mind. Sometimes we find that things, uh, exp we experience things that, that play on our mind and our emotions and our feelings. So, so what sort of reasons are there for doubt? Well, this is only a suggestion. These are some of the reasons we might doubt in our faith. Uh, some of the reasons we might doubt is we might doubt who Jesus really is. We, we may have doubts about whether Jesus can do what he says he can do. We may have doubts about the resurrection of Jesus. Did it really happen? The doubts may be introspective. Is my faith strong enough? Maybe it isn't strong enough. Perhaps we have doubts because we're worried over God's provision for us. Sometimes sickness, either in ourselves or in other people, raises doubts. Why is uh, our God of love allowing this to happen? What's happening to my faith? And sometimes I think we have doubts because we've been misled in our faith and we are disappointed. And I've come across Christians who, who've been reassured through some prophecy or something that a person who is ill is going to live and recover and they don't, they die and it's a real knock to their faith when that happens so I thought what we might do is have a, a look at a passage in Matthew chapter 11 which you'll find on, on page 967 if you want to follow along in the church Bibles I've got it on, coming up on screen in just a moment where somebody who had every reason not to have doubts, sent a message to Jesus about some doubts that he was having. And that man was John the Baptist. And in Matthew chapter 11, we, we read these words. After Jesus had finished instructing his, his 12 disciples, he went on from there to teach and preach in the towns of Galilee. When John, who was in prison, heard about the deeds of the Messiah, he sent his disciples to ask him, Are you the one who is to come, or should we expect someone else? Jesus replied, Go back and report to John what you hear and see. The blind receive sight, the lame walk, those who have leprosy are cleansed, the deaf hear, the dead are raised, and the good news is proclaimed to the poor. Blessed is anyone who does not stumble on account of me. As John's disciples were leaving, Jesus began to speak to the crowd about John. What did you go out into the wilderness to see? A reed swayed by the wind? If not, what did you go out to see? A man dressed in fine clothes? 
No, those who wear fine clothes are in king's palaces. Then what did you go out to see? A prophet. Yes, I tell you, and more than a prophet. This is the one about whom it is written, I will send my messenger ahead of you who will prepare your way before you. Truly I tell you, among those born of women, there has not risen anyone greater than John the Baptist. Yet whoever is least in the kingdom of heaven is greater than he. So this man, John the Baptist, who'd done a sterling work in preparing the people to, uh, for the uh, arrival of Jesus, who'd been out in the wilderness by the River Jordan baptizing people, is described by Jesus after John's disciples had gone back to him as, as being the greatest person so far in faith in God. So in, in Jesus' eyes, we're saying that, G, that John the Baptist was greater than Abraham, than, than Joseph, than Moses, than David, or, or any other Old Testament character you can name. That's certainly what is implied here. And yet this man, who is esteemed so great by Jesus, was doubting the most important thing of all by questioning whether Jesus really was the Christ, the Messiah, the anointed one who'd been promised. So I want to reassure you, and reassure myself, that if at times you have doubts in your faith, you're among the greats. It is perfectly normal to have at times questions about your faith and some doubts. So please don't feel that it is the end of the world or that you are an absolute spiritual failure. Many, many people, many believers at one time or another will have questions and doubts about their faith. So in particular, going back to this list I put on the screen just now, I can see at least two of these were reasons John was doubting. He was doubting who Jesus is and really whether Jesus can do what he says he can do. But of course, at this stage, John, who'd been out in the wilderness uh, preaching, he'd been down by the River Jordan baptizing people who came to him, had been thrown into prison by the local ruler, Herod the Tetrarch, for criticizing Herod about marrying his brother's wife. So Herod was in an, in, in, in an incestuous relationship. John had been... Uh, out um, there sometime between six months and two years, and he'd become so discouraged that he'd asked two of his disciples to, to go to Jesus and to ask him, are you really the Christ? It, it's easy to read that and not think about it, much about it, but the truth is it, it was nothing but unbelief on the part of John the Baptist. It was serious doubts. So just for a moment, think about who, who John was. Before his birth, he'd been set apart to God and filled with the Holy Spirit even while he was in his mother's womb. Now that's unusual. It appears that he 
lived in his adult life in the desert. Um, some of you who've been to the Israel or the Holy Land may recall the site of the Dead Sea Scrolls. You know, it's not far from the Dead Sea, strangely enough, but it's a pretty barren area. So he didn't have an easy life, and his clothing and his diet were fairly primitive. It wasn't as if he was used to reveling in luxury and, and now was missing all of that. And his entire life was committed to pre preparing the way for the Christ, for Jesus. Yet this preparation work only lasted a relatively short time, maybe six months or so, we're not absolutely sure. But John is the one who would see Jesus approaching and say, look, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. Now you really wouldn't expect that kind of ministry out in the desert to be massively effective, would you? You know, some way, so we're looking at, what, 25 miles from the capital city, Jerusalem, further away from other centers of population. And that 25 miles was a massively difficult journey, descending about 4,000 feet over those 25 miles through rocky ravines and all kinds of things. And what's worse, when you went back, you had to go back uphill. So that, that, um, that would discourage some people. But thousands of people flocked out to see him and to be baptized. His message was repent for the forgiveness of sins. So he was attracting people who genuinely knew there was something wrong in their lives. And when he baptized Jesus, he saw the visible sign of the Holy Spirit descending upon Jesus in the form of a dove and the voice of the Father from heaven in approval of this. John chapter 1 Verse 32 to 34, then John gave this testimony. I saw the Spirit come down from heaven as a dove and remain on him. And I myself did not know him, but the one who sent me to baptize with water told me, the man on whom you see the Spirit come down and remain is the one who will baptize with the Holy Spirit. I have seen and I testify that this is God's chosen one. This is the same John the Baptist who's now saying, via his messengers, are you the chosen one? So can you see that it, 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 it's quite a struggle he's having at this stage, despite at one stage having been absolutely certain that Jesus was the Christ. He'd had no doubt about it. But it was after being imprisoned for a period of time that John began to doubt. There's an implication here. Sometimes our circumstances bring us low. They affect our feelings, which in turn may play upon our thoughts. So what did Jesus say? Well, we read in that passage that Jesus replied, go back to John and report what you hear and see. So, so immediately, you've got the compassion of Jesus saying, I want to meet this person at his point of need. And, and can I reassure you that if you're struggling with doubts, and in a congregation of this size, you know, I, I, I'd be willing to bet a fairly good sum of money, though I'm not going to, uh, that, that, that there are people here who today are struggling with doubts. And if you're not struggling with doubts today, it might be that for some of us it's either been in the last few years or it might be within the next few years. 
But Jesus cares and wants to meet you at your point of need. And the point of need for John was this. Give him a report about what's happening. What you hear and what you see. First of all, the blind receive sight. The lame walk. Those who have leprosy are cleansed. The deaf hear. The dead are raised. And good news, the good news is proclaimed to the poor. And just an encouragement, blessed is anyone who does not stumble on account of me. Well, we'll just make a note here uh, on, on this screen of that checklist. I don't need you to memorize it, but just, just agree with me that we're talking about the blind receiving sight, the lame walking, those who have leprosy being cleansed, the deaf hearing, the dead are raised, and the good news are proclaimed, is proclaimed to the poor. And then let me take you back to the Old Testament, to the prophecy of Isaiah and chapter 35, where, where in this chapter there's just a bit of reassurance from a prophet in a message that at this stage is still a message of judgment. Strengthen the feeble hands, steady the knees that give way. Say to those with fearful hearts, be strong, do not fear, your God will come. He will come with vengeance, with divine retribution, he will come to save you. Then will the eyes of the blind be opened. And the ears of the deaf unstopped. Then will the lame leap like a deer and the mute tongue shout for joy. Let me tell you, John the Baptist knew his Old Testament. He would have known what the prophet Isaiah was saying. And when this message came back to him, remember it was this that Jesus had said about the blind receiving sight, the lame walking, um, the uh, deaf hearing, and the mute tongue shouting for joy. Can you see Jesus throwing some bonuses as well? Dead being raised. And the good news is being proclaimed. So, so what is happening is that Jesus is using the scriptures, using the word of God to reassure John who knew that word of God that indeed he is this person. Many of us have slightly underused Bibles. When emotionally we're struggling with unbelief, we don't necessarily want a scripture. We want something more tangible, something emotional that we can feel. We'd rather have Jesus put his arm around us and say something about how everything will be all right. That would make us feel better. And in the absence of Jesus, a Christian friend would, would help doing just that. And this absolutely right and proper that as Christians we do support each other that way. But overcoming doubt is not just about feeling better. It is about getting back into faith that only comes from the word of God. Romans chapter seven, uh, 10 verse 17 reminds us that faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of God. Familiar with top trumps? It's that card game for children. 
Well, each card in the pack has a a list of numerical data about the item. Um, So, for example, in a a pack uh, that's based on cars, you might have each card with a different model of car, and the stats and the data may include its engine size, its weight, its length, and its top speed. And and, and somebody with a uh, um, card... Uh, will we'll give a category and they'll compare, and the one whose category has got the highest number wins that card. I didn't have top trumps when I was young. Oh. But I remember my grandfather teaching me whist, and I remember what trumps did. They trumped everything else. And in a world of feelings, can I encourage you that facts trump feelings? If we can think more objectively, allow the Word of God to change our thinking. Romans chapter 12, letting our minds be renewed, then our feelings are more likely to align with our thinking. Allow God's Word to trump those senses. And if you're not opening the Word of God regularly, or you're not listening to it regularly, may I encourage you to do that, because that is the only thing that will transform you in the long term, if you're struggling with the doubts. Well, having said that, I do want to reassure you that sometimes our doubts are because of you know, a physical condition, you know, it could be that we're dealing with a mental question of depression or something like that, which is certainly beyond my expertise. Though I've been there, I've experienced it, I have in the past been on antidepressants, I understand you know, that, that, that it's a real challenge at times. And in that situation, often no matter how much of all the other things we do, you do need a little bit more help to get your mind in the right place to get you back. So don't, don't just try and spiritualize every problem you've got. I do want to reassure you that sometimes there is more to it than that. But I also want to move away from doubt just being about feelings because of circumstances like John the Baptist because sometimes um, doubt, as Oswald Chambers says, is not always a sign that a man is wrong. It may be a sign that he is thinking. And I have um, memories of uh, a friend of ours, it must be at least 20 years ago, she'd been on staff at CYE Sailing Centre, and, and she'd gone off to London Bible College, and she was in her, her second year, that's now London School of Theology, where our esteemed worship leader and uh, senior minister went, so they may have experienced something of this, but I remember that by the second year, what they had done was asked their students so many questions that they had everything that they believed, if you like, challenged at that stage. And there was a process of rebuilding everything that they believed and so on. But this person was going through that stage where she was just intellectually wobbling and it was affecting her. And she came down, spent a weekend with us and hopefully we were able to just encourage her and so on. And she's gone on strong in her faith ever since. But... Sometimes doubts because of the intellectual challenges that we're doing. And it's not a bad thing to realize that sometimes doubt is the beginning of a deepened faith. For example, if you became a believer at an early age, 
you know, and look at what's been happening today in terms of having dedication services, that, that your faith is, is mediated through your parents and, and our trust is as much in our parents and their faith as it is directly in God. There may come a time as we get older when our faith is tested through trials or temptations, uh, perhaps through suffering, perhaps in our teens, our 20s or our 30s, but it's not a bad thing. But at that stage, we're made to think about the truths that we believe. Are they wrong? And, and in order to embrace that faith, those truths more deeply, we go through this process of, of doubt. But so often, going through that then results in a deeper and stronger faith. But if you're a person who just likes absolute certainty and the lack of certainty about all the facts about our faith and about our God is, is something that's causing you challenges intellectually and causing you doubts, can I say that we all need to be ready to live with the mystery? Sometimes we want all of the answers. We want complete understanding before we commit more to God. And while God has revealed so much to us, and, and there is so much we can understand, there are, as Deuteronomy chapter 29, verse 29 says, the secret things that belong to him alone. You know, we'll never be able to comprehend the Trinity or how God created everything out of nothing. But what we can comprehend is enough for us to rest in God when there is that mystery, when there are things we still don't understand. Our Christian faith is vital. It is a matter of life and death, isn't it? Because John uh, chapter 3, verse 16, the verse that probably we know better than any other, reminds us uh, that God's love for us in giving his son was so that we might not perish but have eternal life. But when we struggle, well, we're told in Jude, in the Bible, in verse 22, that we who are believers are to be merciful to those who are doubt, if, to those who doubt. So if you're a person um, who is quick to rush to judgment over somebody else who might be wobbling because there's never been a problem you've had, can I encourage you to go back to the scriptures, just as I've been encouraging all of us to go back to the scriptures, and, 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 and jack up the mercy, just as God has been merciful to you and to each other person here. Perhaps there is a, a personality uh, question here, that you're a person who's prone to doubts. Maybe you're a little bit anxious by nature. You, you're 50, 100 meters down the street, and you think, did I lock the front door when I left? And you have to go back and check it, even though every time you've done that, you still have always locked it. Maybe you're a person who has an inclination to, to, to question authority. And, and I, without pointing out any names, I know that there are a handful of people in this congregation who are just like that. And it's a good thing, providing it's used well, but it can cause you um, some serious questions at times. Maybe you're a person who seeks logical, intellectual answers to, for every question, 
And sometimes the answer is not always about that intellectual solution. It is about trust in God. Maybe you're a person who is so damaged by past hurts that you find it difficult to trust God's promises. You're not to blame for your doubts, but perhaps you need help to understand yourselves in light of those personality and those circumstances. So what about responding to our own doubts? Well, prayer. Prayer's a good thing. Do you remember the uh, man who, whose uh, son was uh, severely ill? And when Jesus uh, talked to him, his response was, I do believe, help me overcome my unbelief. I believe, but my belief has got room for improvement, room for growing. Let's pray about that. In perspective, C.S. Lewis, in his Screwtape Letters, contains some advice from a senior devil to a junior devil about how to torment Christians. In one letter, he writes that the best way to make them atheists is to get them thinking, not about God, but about their own state of mind about God. As a result, they will be so preoccupied by their own feelings and doubts that they stop turning to him. And on the subject of perseverance, some people are perfectionists. They have over-tidy minds that just cannot cope with loose ends. They almost want to put their Christian lives on hold before they've resolved all the questions. You know, God calls on us to persevere in the Christian life despite our doubts, battling on until Christ returns and all of our struggles end. You know, on that day, we will not just believe, but we will see as well. But until then, we live by faith and not by sight. So personally, well, I find my own reassurance helped in a number of ways um, by reading good Christian literature alongside my Bible, by experiencing the love of God through other Christians, by allowing God time to work through my mind and, and heart processes, by confessing my sin and, and living in obedience to him. And also, I find that I'm helped by the words of good hymns, both past and present. And one of the things I like about hymns from the past is it reminds me that other believers have gone through some of these same things two, three hundred years before, and they've reconciled and resolved their faith. And with that, although I'm not going to sing it to you, this is a hymn that Horatio Bonar wrote in the um, 19th century. He said, Not what my hands have done can save my guilty soul. Not what my toiling flesh has borne can make my spirit whole. Not what I feel 
or do can give me peace with God. Thy work alone, O Christ, can ease this weight of sin. Thy blood alone, O Lamb of God, can give me peace within. Thy love to me, O God, not mine, O Lord, to thee, can rid me of this dark unrest and set my spirit free. Thy grace alone, O God, to me can pardon speak. Thy power alone, O Son of God, can this sore bondage break. No other work save thine, no other blood will do. No strength save that which is divine can bear me safely through. Let's pray. Father, thank you for the reminder of Jesus' words to John to take him back to Scripture and to align what he saw with what he'd read and knew, to realize that uh, you are, Lord Jesus, the very person who Scripture pointed to. And thank you for the words of Horatio Bonar 200 years ago when he would write of getting rid of the dark unrest and that being your work alone, the finished work of Jesus and the love of God that we experience through that. Father, I pray particularly for anyone here who's struggling with doubts at the moment, whether they're based on their circumstances or feelings, whether they are intellectual or, or, or because of their personality. I pray, Father, that there would be a resolving of these doubts, that there would be peace that you bring to them, and that you would help us as believers in Jesus Christ to stand alongside one another to encourage and to help each other uh, through these challenges at this time. For I pray in Jesus' name. Amen.